Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhart. Thank you for joining us on The Next Track. This is episode number five. Kirk and I will be uh, having a general discussion about speakers and headphones uh, and how you can use them with your computers to get the music out. But before we get to that, we wanted to acknowledge some of the announcements from Apple this week. So the big news this week is Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, where the company uh, presented the new versions of OS X and iOS. OS X, of course, whose name is going to change to Mac OS without a space with a lowercase m. And they introduced a lot of new features. One of the new features in the betas is a sort of reconception of Apple Music, of the way you find music, of the way you browse, etc. I'll have a link in the show notes to an article I posted on my website with a brief overview of the new features. I, I guess we could say they've radically changed the way you interact with Apple Music. Well, they've definitely uh, changed some things around. I mean, it's all the same information. They're just displaying it differently. There's no doubt they've gotten rid of some of the confusion and the clutter and the ambiguity. It's a lot cleaner. It's a lot simpler. Um, finding features it, uh, makes more sense now. Right. It, it's more. It's more of a redesign, but it's a, it's a total rethink of the design. Um, they've slimmed down a number of things. So previously there was this Connect, which had its own tab at the top of the iTunes window, and it's now on the For You page. And, and I'm going to call these pages rather than windows or tabs or whatever because they do look like pages so when you look at the for you page you have two sort of text tabs i'm not sure what the technical term is here one is recommendations and the other is connect um when you look at for instance the browse page browse is the new name for what's currently new um you have new music curated playlists top charts and genres so in a way they've added another level of complexity that you're going from a button to several options. But another thing that they've done is they've put on the browse um, page, which was previously the new page, if you want to look at the new page today, these different elements, new music curated playlists, top charts and genres were headers lower in the page. You'd have to scroll down to see them. Now you see them immediately. They're, they're giving quicker access, simpler access. They've added huge bold fonts for For You and, and Browse. They've changed the name of My Music, which always confused me, and they've returned it to Library, which makes a lot more sense. There are some oddities that, so when you look at For You, um, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, the day after the WWDC, and I see Tuesday's playlists and Tuesday's albums, and so every day this is going to change, obviously. Yeah, it looks like you get the same number of recommendations you get on a daily basis now, except that in the new version, you can't go back and see what was recommended in the past few days. It'd be nice if they kept that. Now, this is only the first day it's been out, so we'll find out later if these lists, which scroll sideways now instead of vertically, if these lists continue further than they are now. I don't think they will, because looking at it, I'm not seeing enough content to suggest that there's a week's worth of suggestions. I think overall, it's a cleaner interface. Conceptually, it hasn't really changed a lot. There's more of a change when you look at the iOS app. When you tap on, when you choose library from the tab at the bottom, you get these big, big, big text links, playlists, artists, albums, songs, etc. Now, you can edit this the same way you can in the sidebar on iTunes, and that's very good. 
So if you don't like playlists, you can have genres and composers. Um, you can have downloaded music or not. And that's good. And if you tap artists and you tap an artist's name, instead of getting this list with the tiny graphics, you get large, kind of a grid view with larger graphics. Um, I find it more attractive. Remember, this is just a beta, so I have a feeling that this may change, but I wouldn't be surprised if they release the new Apple Music layout along with the um, changes to the music app at some point before the new version of Mac OS and iOS. Yeah, I don't think they're going to wait until the fall. How can they? They've got the first year anniversary of Apple Music coming up on June 30th, and I think they'd like to be able to say, we've been listening to your feedback and your criticisms, and we've redesigned it from the ground up. Why wait? So we'll see if this makes a difference. For now, I'm... You know, it's it's more visual, but but this addresses a lot of the criticism that Apple's had, that it was complicated, that it was hard to find out what you were doing. Right. The changes of the names may seem small, uh, changing new to browse, but it makes sense because if you were looking for music that wasn't new, you still had to go to the new tab. Anything that makes it easier to use is going to hopefully drive more subscriptions. So that's what's new. If you're an early adopter, you may already have the beta software. If not, you can sign up for the public beta in a few weeks. And if you do, make sure you back up everything before you install it. All right. Um, now that most of us use some kind of computer device to manage and play music, and since these devices aren't traditionally part of a uh, conventional audio component ecosystem... We thought we'd talk a little bit about the ways that we do listen to digital music on our computers. We grew up in a period where you initially had to be in one place to listen to music. You had a home record player, you had a home stereo, um, you might have had a gramophone or a Victrola, you know. Some of us have parents who still had those things, right? Well, my dad was a hi-fi nut, so we always had modern equipment, but uh, my grandparents definitely had one of those... Uh, those big pieces of furniture, you know? With the record player in it. Right. So we grew up listening in a fixed situation. And I think one of the great changes that we've seen with music listening is the ability to listen to music when we're on the go. Um, I was a very early adopter. Uh, I had a, a, a portable cassette player before the Walkman came out. It was called the Sony Pressman. It was about half the size and weight of a red brick. And I would walk around with this, and I had really crappy headphones, of course, but the, the freedom to walk around going to my friend's house at night and coming back or just wandering in the neighborhood with my own personal soundtrack, this was just radical at the time. I used to use a full-size set of headphones portably because there weren't any options for smaller ones, uh, not until the Walkman came out. And once it did, uh, those little headsets were everywhere. It got adopted very quickly. It, it seemed like in the span of three months, you went from one rare early adopter with headphones walking down the street to just, you know, a, a line of zombies going down Fifth Avenue. A Walkman headset zombie army. <laughs> uh, New York City is special. Um, and of course, this, this changed when the iPod came out and all of a sudden everyone had white earbuds and it was similar. So anyway, we grew up in the period where music listening went from fixed to mobile. And there have... Once that period started, there have been a lot of ways to listen to music. But listening isn't just the device. It's what gets the music from the device to your ears. So 
headphones. We were talking about headphones with the Walkman, and today we have so many options for headphones. It's really astounding, isn't it? Well, it's like you said, we're, we're no longer fixed. We're taking our music with us, and that that's necessitated a, a, a wider range of headphone options. The popularity of the iPod probably helped increase the popularity of headphones. We see a huge number of brands um, and different types. So, you have three options for things that go in your ears, the ones that go in, not on. You have the earbud that sort of sits in your ear and it comes out if you're running. <laughs> yep. um, you have in-ear or in-canal headphones. And these are the ones with the little silicone tips on them and you squeeze them into your ears. And if you're a pro or if you're just someone who really likes music and wants good sound insulation, you can get what's called in-ear monitors. Now, this is what you see musicians wearing these days. If you ever see musicians on stage and, and you see a close-up, you see they've got this thing in their ear. To get these made, you go to an audiologist who squirts silicone in your ears, which is a very weird experience. I've had it done. And they make a mold, and then the company that makes the in-ear monitors makes the mold so it fits your ears perfectly and only your ears. Have you ever tried in-ear monitors? Uh, I've tried someone else's <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, you know, no two ears are the same, so they didn't quite fit exactly. Yeah. But, um, by holding them in, you know, I got a, a good idea of how well they isolate and, uh, how, how clear the sound is. But of course you do have to have them custom made. Yeah. I have a pair that a company made for me back in 2004 and they sound great. Uh, as you say, they isolate a lot. I personally, I don't like them. And, and I don't like them because the tip, the bit where the music comes out is very far into the ear canal. And I find that if the music gets loud suddenly, it, it's almost painful. Yeah, they're not exactly the sort of thing you'd use for listening to music casually around the house. And yeah. Plus, they cost a lot. They do, yeah. And so the, the in-between option is in-canal or in-ear um, earbuds with the tips. Now, I can't use these because I hear myself breathing. Yeah, or your teeth grinding or your... Yeah, I find yeah. this too disturbing. Or when I walk, you know, you hear, you hear your feet. the sort of crunching, yeah, your feet <laughs> resonating up through your bones. So I can't use these. Now, they do have an advantage that they block out a lot of exterior sound. So if you're on a commute, there's an interest to having it. Sure, they're great if uh, you're not going to be moving around a lot and you can forgive the body noise. Sure, yeah. But uh, another thing too is um, when I'm outside, I like to keep my wits about me. So I, I like hearing the exterior noise. So a looser fitting earbud or earphone is, is better for me. So, so the next option is headphones. And we've got two kinds of headphones these days. We've got wired headphones and wireless headphones. Um, as we record, we're each wearing wired headphones because that's what you do in a studio. I'm a professional. You're a professional. Um, you've got a pair of... I'm wearing... I've got... Doug is modeling the Sennheiser HD280 Pro headset. These are closed-ear, around-the-ear headphones. They block out a lot of exterior sound. Um, nice, clean sound for about 100 bucks. Uh, you can wear them for a long period of time. I really like them. I'm guessing you have a pair of Sony MDR-65. Is that the number? Actually, I don't own any Sony headphones. I find Sony headphones to be a bit tinny. Um, I also have a pair of Biodynamic DT-770s and a pair of AKG K240s. When I was working in radio, um, you had to have your own cans, and they had to be replaced rather frequently because you're using them every day. So I found a nice set of Denons that I used to buy repeatedly. I probably owned six, seven, eight pairs of those. I seem to remember those costing about 80 bucks or so. 
Um, now I just use the AKG K240s if I have to go to a studio or something. And if I'm at home, I just monitor with the Sennheisers. So I, I said earlier the Sony MDR65, that's not it. It's the MDR-V6. They cost about $100, which is not expensive. And you were saying your Denons were, you know, $80 headphones. But they are pretty much indestructible. And I do have a pair of these. And they're comfortable. You can wear them for a long time. And they're very neutral. So with any audio equipment, there's always a coloring. Each manufacturer, there's a lot of bass like in Beats headphones, or there's more of a treble in certain brands. The Sennheiser tends to be fairly neutral. I have a an AKG set that I bought recently, which is also similar to the Bear Dynamics um, that I had previously. So we, we have wired headphones, and the other option is wireless headphones, which use Bluetooth. I initially was pretty hesitant because Bluetooth quality wasn't very good until a few years ago when they came out with a particular, I think Bluetooth 3.1 is when the sound apt X is the codec, which makes the sound a lot better. Well, that's encouraging because one, I hate wires and I was really hot to get a nice pair of wireless headphones uh, a couple of years ago. And I couldn't find a single pair that I thought sounded decent. I've got a drawer full of them that just sound like garbage. So if you say things sound better, I'm willing to give them a try again. Okay, well, I'm going to recommend the ones that I use. It's the Jabra Revo, uh, R-E-V-O. It's on Amazon. It's currently selling at $137. It says the list price is $200. It's got really good sound. If you like the sound that it has, I found them to be too bassy, so I had to turn on the bass reducer EQ on my iPhone, but I like these headphones enough that I didn't return them. In other ah. words, for, for other headphones I tried that were too bassy, I didn't like them, but once you cut down the bass, everything else is very neutral. The treble is crisp and the mid-range, uh, you know, which is really important for vocals, is very clear. They're not too heavy. They fold. They have good battery life. I'm very happy with them. You use them with the, the iPhone. I use them with the iPhone. I never use them inside. I was going to say, I was going to ask what the range might be because obviously you're going to be, you're going to have the iPhone on your person. Right. But I'm wondering if you use them in a home, how far away from the source can you get? Well, theoretically, Bluetooth is 10 meters or about 30 feet. I have a treadmill uh, in one of the rooms downstairs. And if I leave that room and go out in the back of the conservatory, it starts breaking up. And that's not 30 feet. That's not 10 meters. That's maybe eight meters or so. So there's no way to, to, to like walk around your entire house with a set of Bluetooth. Absolutely yeah. not. No. It seems like a problem that you shouldn't have to solve because you just keep the iPhone with you. It's also a lot of gear. I mean, it's, it is. it's quite an effort to, to listen to things wirelessly. Uh, like that, you know, when you have to wear a backpack of equipment to, in order just to hear something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. But so I use these when I go out walking. I use these when I'm on the treadmill, and I find them really comfortable. They're, they're not the kind of headphones that I'd want for really listening to something where I care about the sound quality. But the sound is good enough. Yeah, but you know, I have trouble settling on good enough. Yeah, headphones are a very personal thing. It's like shoes. There are so many kinds of headphones that you've just got an amazing range of choice. So let's get into wired listening. Um, we're sitting in front of computers and recording, and we work in front of computers, and we often listen to music while we're working. There are all sorts of ways you can listen to music from a computer. And when we were discussing um, this episode before we started recording, we were just sort of saying all the different ways. And when you think of it, there are tons of options. So why don't you start with the simplest option? Well, you might think that the, the simplest solution would be to just plug the computer into your stereo system, like through a, an auxiliary channel or something. But my stereo system was oriented towards listening to music in another part of the house. 
Um, and you couldn't use the Mac to listen to music. I mean, you, well, you could listen to CDs and CD-ROMs and things like that, but it wasn't that, it wasn't that critical. Plus, like I said, the stereo speakers were oriented in a completely different way. So the next best thing to do was if you wanted halfway decent sound while you were working on the computer, just buy yourself a pair of these little satellite speakers. You'd plug them into the headphone output and you can get them powered or, or amplified or not. Uh, and, and they would do. Yeah. So back in the day, that's what everyone did. They would, well, either use headphones or external speakers. Things have changed a lot. If you listen to the current iMac, the speakers really do sound quite good. Oh, indeed. Sometimes I forget to switch my audio equipment on, and it comes out of my iMac, and it takes me a bit to know. If I'm not paying attention, it takes me a bit to notice that it's the iMac, and I eventually hear it because the stereo separation isn't very good. Um, but you can use an iMac. Laptops aren't quite as good. Um, for listening to audio because the speakers are small and you don't get much bass response. Not a lot of volume either on a laptop. What I did a few years ago is that I realized that my computer is part of an audio system. And in my office now, to my right, I have a shelf and I have a Denon amplifier and a Denon CD player. The amplifier is connected to a DAC, a digital analog converter. We're going to discuss this on another show in the future, what digital analog converters are. But it's basically... A sort of off-board sound card that switches the digital sound that comes out of the computer into the analog that the amplifier needs. And that connects to my Mac. So I'm actually listening to music when I work on a real stereo. I have fairly large bookshelf speakers. Um, I have Focal Chorus 705V speakers, which are about 20 inches tall. So these are large speak. They're not tiny speakers. And I have them on um, isoacoustic speaker stands. And I'll link to all this in the show notes. Um, because I realized that music is important to me. Now, I'm not going to duplicate the quality of my living room system, but I can get close. It just seemed to me that any other solution would just not be ideal. You can get all sorts of external speakers that you can connect to your computer. But why bother using a, a, a half-hearted solution when you can do something that really sounds good. That's true, you can, but sometimes it comes down to economics. I mean, if most people are invested in the, in their home theater, home entertainment system, they may not want to indulge in uh, getting a second batch of equipment for their computer. But that being said, I do the same thing. I've got a Sony receiver hooked up to a pair of Bose 201s to play music off my iMac, and it sounds great. I really like it, but... Not everyone can do that. Yeah. Well, we work at home, so we have this option that we can fill up our offices with sound if we want. Now, there's another option that's sort of an in-between option. Um, it goes in between the small speaker and the full stereo system. These are called studio monitors. And what they are is small speakers that have built-in amplifiers. So you're basically plugging a cable into the headphone jack in your computer. And this cable goes into one of the studio monitors with a cable that goes into the other one. Um, so each channel has a separate amplifier and these these can be very expensive speakers these can be five hundred dollars maybe even a thousand dollars and and i'm not even talking about the kind that really are used in studios yeah i've never used studio monitors at home i i really i guess i'm old-fashioned i'm really prefer the the amp that can drive the sound into a decent pair of speakers yeah like you i've always been a component type person and i know that if i ever want to change my amplifier or my speakers i can do one or the other rather than be locked into the specificities of just a self-amplified speaker. Also, with something like that, I wouldn't be able to put a CD player. I, I actually bought a CD player last year 
because I do have lots of box sets of CDs that I haven't ripped entirely. And sometimes I've gotten to the point where I just want to listen to a CD. It's not because the CD's better. It's because the CD's about an hour of uninterrupted music. I don't have to make a playlist or select an album in iTunes. And I, I pull out one or two CDs from one of those sets and listen to them. Now, I don't use a CD player a lot, but I like the flexibility of having that to be able to put it into my amplifier. The, the next thing I might get is a reel-to-reel -reel player um, because, you know, everyone's talking about vinyl and analog sound and nostalgia. That's just second-rate stuff. Reel-to-reel -reel is where it's at, right? I, uh, I can't tell if you're kidding. I, I was kidding. Oh, well, you had me for a second, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I would never go back to tape again. I have nightmares with razor blades and splicing blocks. I just can't do it. One thing that I've noticed that's interesting is if you remember back in the 70s, people had big-ass stereo receivers and big speakers and all that. If you try and remember how they sounded, you can't remember exactly, but you can buy for 200 bucks. you can buy an amplifier today that sounds as good as a $2,000 amplifier back then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the quality of audio equipment is such that you don't even need to consider going above $500 for any components anymore. Um, I've always recommended to people, if you really want to spend money, put more money into your speakers because that's what actually creates the sound. So my Denon amp cost me, I think, 170 pounds. I think you get it for $200 in the States. My speakers, on the other hand, cost about 220 pounds. So, you know, I put more money into the speakers. And I don't need better speakers than this. I can't see myself spending more for speakers in my office, even though I listen a lot. Um, my speakers in the living room are much more expensive, but I, I don't see the need. And unless you're an audiophile, and I'm sure we'll talk about audiophiles often on this show, you don't need to consider going that high. There are very good brands that make excellent audio equipment and, and Denon and Pioneer and Sony, you know, any of these brands that make a, a basic amplifier. My, my logic is always don't buy the cheapest, don't buy the most expensive. Look at what they make. If they got four models, take the second or the third one. Yeah, that's really true. You do not have to pay top dollar for great sounding audio equipment, but you do have to make the time investment to investigate it. But I've always found it worth it. So the final way you can listen to music, and in this case, you would be listening to music from your computer in a different room, is to stream it wirelessly to an Apple TV, to an AirPlay speaker, to a Sonos device. There are all sorts of options. I really like being able to stream from my computer. So I have a an amplifier and a pair of speakers in my bedroom. Um, I stream to it using AirPlay, and I find that that gives really good sound and is really flexible and really easy to use. Oh yeah, AirPlay is really great. I AirPlay to an Airport Express that's hooked up to a to an old receiver that's hooked up to an old pair of speakers in the kitchen. They're up and out of the way, and the convenience is just great. So the other option is a Sonos system, which essentially looks at a music folder on a computer and then streams to its own standalone speakers. Now, this is a very interesting system, and I know lots of people who love it, but when I tried it, I had a problem. There is a hard limit of 65,000 tracks in the Sonos system. Really? It's, yeah, the way the database is created, it's like, remember the, the Y2K problem that they hadn't figured out that years would need four digits? Well, Sonos at some point um, coded a database system that can't hold any more than 65,000 tracks. The problem is this same database system, I think it has something to do with the chips and the RAM on each 
speaker and all this so they can't re easily upgrade it and what i found when i tried it out is it, i was only able to get about forty-two thousand tracks because it's not the number of tracks actually that matters it's the amount of metadata in each track since i have a lot of classical music with longer names um it would only get up to about forty-two thousand. in other words it scanned my itunes library up to about the letter m in addition to the metadata does it also include image data it's included as album artwork? Um, that's very possible, yeah. I mean, they call it a 65,000 track limit, but if you look at the Sonos forums, you'll see a lot of people who, who had my same problem. Now, if you don't have a big library, um, or if you're streaming music, say Apple Music and Spotify, then Sonos might be a good solution. If you do have a big library, and you do would rather have components you know, at less than 200 bucks for an amp and, and $150, $200 for a pair of speakers, those Sonos standalone speakers can be quite expensive. Um, you can get an amp and small speakers for about the same price as the Sonos, I think it's the Play 5, which is the larger speaker that they sell. So with all these options, you can easily set up a single library of music, whether it be an iTunes library or a folder full of your music files. Um, you can listen to it in your office where you work, in your home, in your living room, in your bedroom, on any device. Uh, you can stream from an iPhone to an Apple TV, which is connected to a stereo. We, we have all sorts of solutions these days. I would recommend to anyone who's interested in expanding the way they listen to music to do it one component at a time, one room at a time, unless you want to go all in on Sonos, where you're going to basically lock yourself into an ecosystem. iTunes lets you use AirPlay, which means that you can use the Apple TV or an Airport Express, or you can use... AirPlay speakers or amplifiers from various companies. Uh, I have a Yamaha AirPlay amplifier in my bedroom. So you have a lot of options. Go one room at a time, one component at a time, and build up your system like that. And when you do it slowly, through trial and error, you'll find the best way to listen to music in your home or your office or wherever you listen to music. You know, and another thing is, too, if you're an audio geek and have techno lust, your house is going to fill up with this stuff naturally anyway. I'm constantly swapping components. Sure. And, and when you've decided that, let's say, you want to upgrade your amplifier in your living room, you can put it in a different room and upgrade something you had there. So it, it gives a lot of flexibility. Now, some people would look at my house and say, wow, this guy's got three amplifiers um, and three pairs of speakers. But, you know, if you like music, this is what you do, isn't it? Here's the part of the program where we reveal what our next track will be, the stuff we'll be playing at home. Uh, what have you got queued up, Kirk? My next track is going to be Brian Eno's 1997 album, The Drop. Now, a lot of people have heard Brian Eno's name and they think of ambient music. He created the concept of ambient music um, back in the 1970s with his album Music for Airports. But Eno has done all sorts of music. He was in Roxy Music. He's done song albums. Um, some of them you might know. Um, Another Green World, Taking Tiger Mountain by Strategy, etc. He's done standard electronic music albums, and he's gone back and forth through a wide range of types of music. The Drop is one of the oddest albums that he made, and he describes it as follows. He says, it's as if you had explained jazz to someone from a distant planet without ever playing the many examples of it, and they tried to do some on the basis of your rather scant explanation. 
I think that's just wonderful because this is a music with quirky rhythms and electronic sounds. Some of it sounds a little bit ambient and, and none of it is quite like electronic dance music today with that sort of synth heavy sound that sounds like a synthesizer. Um, it's mostly synthesized music. So it's called The Drop by Brian Eno. It's from 1997. And that's my next track. I will be listening to an album by The Ventures called The Ventures A Go-Go. The Ventures were a 60s guitar instrumental band, probably most famous for the hit Walk Don't Run, but they put out a lot of albums, usually themed and usually instrumental covers of other people's hits. Uh, on The Ventures A Go-Go, they do a lot of, I guess you call it frat rock covers. They do Louie Louie, La Bamba, Satisfaction, Wooly Bully, stuff like that. This album was recorded in 1965, but I first came across it in college, and it sounded a lot like the contemporaneous new wave music I was listening to at the time. I just stumbled on it the other day on Apple Music and pulled it in. It's The Ventures and The Ventures A Go-Go. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.